All right. I want to thank you for coming today. I'm really glad you're here. And I think that uh, what I'm really glad is that I believe that God is going to work in our midst today, and he's going to encourage us and strengthen us, and I'm really excited about this series. We're in this series called A Way Out. This is the second week, and it's going to be four weeks long. We've been working on A Way Out of Temptation, and so today the title is Fighting Temptation. Last week the, the title was Always A Way Out, Fighting Temptation. Our focus for today is this. Put it on the screen for us, please. When you understand how temptation works, then you can fight to win. We are in a series that I believe is probably the most practical series that you can be in because whether you believe it or not, and I'm pretty sure most of you believe it, we are all tempted. And so, We think because we've experienced this, we kind of understand how it works. We think that we kind of get how temptation comes our direction, how we kind of stumble and fail, and then we, you know, ask God to forgive us, and then here we go again, and it hits us again, and we think we kind of know how the stages work, but I believe we need to kind of understand what the Bible has to say, because whether you believe the description there or not, If we really see the description, we can evaluate to see, does this describe the reality that I experience? And I think you'll discover it really does describe that reality really well. Now, we're about to jump into the temptation series, and you're going to be tempted this morning during this session. And I want to just kind of forewarn you there. And so uh, maybe not everybody, but I think a lot of you will be tempted to listen to today's message with somebody else in mind. And I don't want you to listen to today's message about somebody else's temptation. I don't want you to listen to this message about somebody that you're thinking of. I want you to listen to this message about your life. So you're going to have to kind of block some, some thoughts out and you keep your elbows in and none of this stuff, you know, as we listen today. Because I want you to think about the temptations that you have. Now, I want to ask you to do me a favor. I'm requesting to get the most out of this message that you think for a moment and write down where you think you're maybe most vulnerable in, in what tempts you and what is maybe your vulnerable area and jot that down on the outline inside your bulletin. So if you'll grab that, pull it out, and jot it down. Now, I suggest that you... Write it in code. I mean, I don't know. Maybe your neighbor would look over and see it and go, ah, ooh, and run out the door because it's so big and hairy that you just wrote down. I don't know. But so write it down in code for you to know what it is that you're thinking about as we work through this message together. Now, I didn't say all of you right, so I'm going to prime the pump a little bit to get you thinking because maybe it's so obvious you're not going to write it down and you're afraid of your neighbor deciphering your code. So I'm going to prime the pump a little bit. Where are you most vulnerable? Okay, so I'm just going to list. This is not everything, of course. This is just a few things to get us thinking. Is it overeating? The Bible calls that gluttony. Is it vegging out instead of exercising or working? That's called sloth. Some of you thought, oh, crud, I didn't know that was in the Bible. 
Yeah, grumbling or anger when you don't get your way, complaining, negativity, all that kind of goes in that category, yeah. An addiction or a compulsion where you are abusing substances and you keep wanting to abuse those substances or you have substances that you have to go to that you didn't think is abuse, but you've got to go there, you're addicted. I want to just talk about a sentence here. Paul describes how he will not be mastered by anything but his master. I believe that Christians um, get stuck in this realm where they start being addicted and they are mastered by whatever it is that they have this compulsion or addiction to. And Paul says, no, you've got a master. You don't need to be mastered by anything else. He'll give you what you need to get out of this thing. Overspending, Greed, self-centeredness, judging and criticizing. We could put comparisons in there that cause that. Gossip, lust, self-indulgence. I'm looking around. You guys aren't writing. And if you're not writing yet, then the next one's for you. Pride. (laughs) Self-righteousness, okay? I mean, if you think, no, no, I'm good, I'm not really vulnerable, then pride and self-righteousness probably is playing a big role in your life. So we are all vulnerable to temptation. So I just want to make sure that we're on a level playing field. I'm not pointing any fingers that don't point back at me. We are all tempted, but we need to understand how to process and how to understand what's taking place while we're being tempted so that we can fight this thing to win. Now, here's the passage that uh, got us going on this, and it's going to be the passage we go to each week, and then we're going to go to others as well. In 1 Corinthians 10, 12 through 13, we read, So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. Aren't you glad? He's faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also, and I want you to say this with me, provide a way out so that you can endure it. So that's the, the, the main passage that this way out series is, is based on. A way out. He always provides a way out. Randy Alcorn is an author. He was a former pastor. He's got a lot of great stuff. One of the books that he wrote is called The Purity Principle, and it's a real short book, and in it he tells a story. Eric came storming into his office, and he was visibly agitated and upset. He plopped himself down in the chair, and he says to Randy Alcorn, I am so mad at God. Randy Elkhorn says, why? Why are you mad at God? He says, because last week I committed adultery. Randy Alcorn just let the pause remain there as he's processing. He says, I can see why you'd be mad at yourself. Why are you mad at God? He says, for two months now, I've been praying. There's this gal at work, and we have a mutual attraction. It's, it's there. And I've been praying that God would keep me from doing anything immoral. And he failed me. 
Randy Alcorn had, was sitting at his desk at the time, and he began to uh, say, God, please keep this book from falling. Oh, God, don't allow this book to fall off my desk. God, please keep this book from falling. Don't allow it to fall off my desk, God. Oh, God, oh, God. This gentleman had obviously been nudging the book closer and closer and closer to the edge of calamity and disaster for a long time. He began to ask him questions. Did you let your wife know that you had this attraction? No. So you could never really pray about it together, let it out of the dark? Did you avoid this woman? No, not really. We went to lunch every day. So... And then as more and more came out, the two months was only, only the nudging up to that point. There was so much more going behind the scenes before the two months that led him to the place where he was with his wife. And sometimes we just need to understand that there's a lot of little, 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 little nudges before we even recognize the calamity and disaster that now is ruining our lives. We're going to be taking a look at the stages of what Eric went through, the stages of what we go through. I want you to see these stages from your standpoint, from your vantage point, because these stages are true for all of us. I mean, the temptation you have over there that you wrote down, I'm not pointing a finger exactly at anybody, is probably different than mine. And the temptation over there, maybe there's one that's just like the one that I have that kind of makes me feel more vulnerable. And we all have like these tailor-made vulnerable situations. I, I introduced the concept last week that we have desires that God has given us that are good and godly when they are used to honor him. But we also have inside of us some very dangerous desires because we are all sons of Adam and daughters of Eve and we have inherited now a heart that has got some twistedness to it. So the same God-given desires is now twisted and dangerous. James describes that for us and describes in bold clarity that Eric's way of looking at his own problem is completely wrong. Our way of looking at our own problem is so often completely wrong. So we're going to take a look at James chapter 1 as James describes the stages of temptation. Verse 13 through 15, we read, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Now, remember last week I said that the word temptation is a double-sided word. Depending on context, it can mean testing, and it's testing so that we can come through stronger for it. But on the other side, the enemy is working the same situation, the same problem for our demise, and so then it's tempting. And here we have the truth that God cannot be tempted. It's never something coming his direction that is to his demise because He's not evil, and he never tempts anybody. Yeah, he tests us, but he never tempts. And with the testing, he actually can envision us getting stronger and stronger, more and more blessed, and able to walk in greater peace and joy. That's what he's envisioning in each of these scenarios, but we have to be careful to see the process and watch what takes place. 
nor does he tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. We're gonna break this down into its parts and see the stages so that we can win this battle, okay? Stage number one is enticement, enticement, okay? Jot that down. We'll take a look at the verse again. As we look at the verse again, we're gonna just kind of see that. Let's go forward. Next verse. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and, say it with me. That's the word. That's the stage. So there's a stage that we enter into where our own desires are being lured. We're going to see in this section two different metaphors that are collapsing together as James describes these stages. He's going to use a fishing metaphor, and then he's going to combine that fishing metaphor with the birthing metaphor and putting those two together and describing what takes place. So, I'm wondering if you believe this statement. Each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire. That's a hard one to swallow. It's one that we don't want to admit. We don't really want to believe it. But this is God's word This is James saying, here's how God is assessing the reality of the situation. You cannot be tempted except that your heart has an evil desire. In other words, if the angler, the enemy, throws this best lure your direction, and he throws the lure in your direction, you have no evil bone in your body, rather than that lure going, oh man, I would like to bite that, you're... You actually, if you had no evil bone in your body, inside of you, you feel a revolting repulsion towards the lure, towards evil. But that's not how temptation works. Temptation works because we have an enemy that understands our vulnerability. He's a master of humanity, all of humanity's vulnerabilities, but he's also a student of you. Knowing your vulnerabilities, he chooses lures well to entice you to want a momentary pleasure, a momentary satisfaction, that it actually is something you go for that brings pleasure, brings a good with it at the expense of obeying what God would have you do with your desires, at the expense of honoring God with your God-given desires. So somehow the lure pulls you away from honoring God towards a pleasure of some sort, of of a small payoff of some sort that sacrifices your honoring God with that same God-given desire. Now, here's what it sounds like when you're beginning to be enticed. And it's probably silent, and it's probably inside your head. It's just kind of quickly goes on. Here are some phrases that I want us to see. The stage sounds like this. It's really no big deal. I deserve this. I can handle this. It'll be okay. I only do this once. I really didn't have much of a choice. 
People do it all the time. It's not really clearly forbidden by the Bible. Is it? What else could I do? God is good. He'll forgive me. Now, that's a, that's a rough one. By the way, the book that I pushed over, I chose the volume, Christianity in Crisis. God is good. He'll forgive me. We'd rather stay in the cycle of sin and just kind of manage the sin in a cycle of sin, ask for forgiveness, sin, ask for forgiveness, sin, ask for forgiveness, and defeat. We'd rather just kind of be in this crisis. It's not like I do this all the time. Doesn't God want me to be happy? These are all the kinds of things, and there's so many more that go on in our quick, quick nanosecond reaction as the lure is right there. Boom. And as you're being enticed, it goes from one to the next to the next to the next. Now, what I want us to see is it starts so quickly. And so quickly we start to say these things and want to go this, because it's a desire. We want this, this desire that at first maybe it's a God-given desire. Now we want it to go in a not God-honoring direction. Whoa, whoa, watch out. Because alarms should be going off. The fire alarm just goes beep, 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 beep. And when a fire alarm goes off, we need to have an exit plan. It's too late if there's no exit plan. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. The alarm's going off. I'll just do it right away. You know? Alarm's going off. All right? Now, if we don't abort the process early, we will go into the next stage. Before I go to the next stage, though, here is a quote that comes from uh, Paul Tripp. um, And he just writes, the character of life isn't set in three or four big moments of life, but in 10,000 little virtually unnoticed moments. That's when the character is set, good or bad. The unnoticed nudges is setting the character of bad. You're already in the stages of disaster. You're already heading there, and it's just going to be a matter of time before the book crashes or your life crashes. But the same for good. Your character is set for good, and all these little tiny things along the way that just sets your character and sets your the life around you as a result of a good character, your marriage improves because of these little things. Your relationships improve because of the little things. I mean, I could just say a bunch of little things right here, but you get my point. Like, thank you. Please. Little kindnesses, little things are the character-forming things. So if you don't have an exit strategy at this stage, you'll go into stage two. You'll move from enticement to conception. Now we're shifting from fishing mode into birth metaphor uh, in this section of scripture. So let's take a look at scripture again. James 1, 14 through 15. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. There's the fishing metaphor, okay? But there's more to that than just fishing. If we combine it with the conception metaphor, there's a seduction here, right? There's a seduction towards evil that's here. And if the seduction towards evil that's here is actually effective, then after desire has, say it with me. I almost crossed it out. Conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. 
Now, on the screen, I'm going to put some words together. That, they're my words to help us get a hold of this conception uh, as part of the process. An illegitimate de- desire is conceived inside when a God-given desire that was meant to honor God unites with the father of lies. Okay, I want us to picture this. A seduction is taking place. The angler of souls is putting a lure in front of you. He's seducing you to combine your godly desire with his twisted lie about that desire and what the payoff will bring you. And once those two things come together, instead of honoring the father who loves you, you're now honoring the father of lies who is out to destroy you, and you have now joined your godly desires with his desire, and now you have an illegitimate desire inside of you conceived. See that? An illegitimate desire is now inside of you growing because you melded together with a lie your pursuit of something that you saw as good in the moment. You saw the payoff as something that would bring you pleasure and you're going for this thing and the enemy is actually using a God-given pleasure sensor inside of you to lure you towards an illegitimate desire. Now the illegitimate desire inside of you is growing. And just like when there's a conception, sometimes the person who has conceived, they themselves don't even know that there's a life growing inside of me. It's the result of an agreement of my desire with a lie. And with that agreement of my desire with a lie, now there's this illegitimate desire that's growing inside of me. It started as a fleeting, fleeting feeling, a thought that led to a feeling. And this feeling is now growing inside of you. And it's now just not just a fleeting feeling, it's, it's alluring. And this alluring thing is growing inside of you. Now it's so strong, it's becoming compelling. And it's growing inside of you. Now, at a certain stage, maybe somebody on the outside might even could see that something's off with you. Something's not shaped right. They can't see it on the outside yet, but they can tell something's going on. And you're starting to know something is going on. But the tricky thing about our hearts is we are such masters at self-deception. We tell ourselves, it's no big deal. You know, I'm just... It's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to be bad. It's just, I'm, I'm praying that immorality won't happen. I'm, I'm going to keep it in check. I've got it under control. I'm okay. It's no big deal. All that stuff's going on, but it's an illegitimate desire that we're kind of managing, and yet it, agreements are being made inside. You know where a lot of these agreements are made, I think? I think a lot of agreements are made while we watch shows. You watch a show, And that show is actually a thought that enters into our our psyche and our way of thinking. And the thought and images enter in and they come with feelings. And we start to make agreements and and imaginations that connect with those feelings. We start to reimagine the scene and think about that scene again. And now we're literally a desire that was aroused from the shows we watch. We're streaming into our being and streaming matters. Just like when you're streaming a movie, if you've got a poor connection, there's a delay. You stream it in, and it goes buffering, 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 and finally it shows up. You're at that stage when conception 
has taken place. Buffering, buffering, buffering. People will see eventually as it grows. It's going to show up because it's your life movie. It's already streaming in. Agreements, planning, choices on the inside take place as you imagine, reimagine, think, desire, and it's all there inside. Now, some people fly through these stages, boom, 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 all in one quick rush. Other people, they're fighting it, fighting it, fighting it. It goes from one stage to the next stage, and it's a lengthy period of time. But at any stage, if you do not abort, you will move forward to the next stage. And I chose the word abort on purpose because we're talking about an illegitimate birth and an illegitimate desire that needs to be aborted. The easiest place to stop is before conception. Then it gets harder from there. The third stage, if it's not aborted, is stage three, birth. Birth. Let's read the verse together and take a look at the stages described by the word of God. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Now, are you still resisting that word? Ooh. If you keep resisting that word, you resist seeing that inside something is corrupt, you will think that you can manage this. You've got this. I'm not evil. I could stop at any time. This kind of denial is very strong within us, but if you recognize that there's something wicked, even in your own desires, see it for what it is. The only people that I know that are good at seeing it for what it is is they literally, they're looking in the mirror. They begin to see it as described from God's vantage point, and suddenly it doesn't look the same as it looks when we're just looking at each other, going with the flow, and everything's the same. We're all going the same way. We're all doing the same stuff. It's not that bad. But you spend time in here, and the glory that he describes in a holy life, a character that's honoring to him, looks completely different. And the muck and the mire that's described from God's vantage point, it all of a sudden is convicting. It's in me. I see it. I own it. There is an evil desire. It's enticing me. Then after desire has conceived, it gives, now say it, to sin. I could have said the sin stage, but let's stay with the metaphor of the staging because this is the birth of sin stage. What's really wild about the birth of sin stage is we still think that we're managing our sin when we start sinning. But what this describes to us is now there is a life of its own, apart from you, that has now been empowered by your alliance with the enemy. The enemy is really involved now because you planned and chose and decided to birth sin, and in the reality of that sin, the enemy is at work in a power that's greater than you. You think that you can manage this power, but it's a life outside of you now. It's sin. And so you can't really manage sin on your own. It's running circles around you. You want to try to make it work and hold it together and keep your life together, but it's doing things you don't want to do. So we're back to the angling metaphor. You're being drugged away by your sin, just like Eric is being drugged away by your sin. Okay? And it's taking you places you don't want to go. 
wait, I didn't think it was gonna go here, but it's taking you places you never thought you would go, and it's got you and pulling you and pulling you, and it's moving you through the stage of sin to the next stage. If you do not abort here, we're at stage four. Stage four, if you write it down, is death. Now, I'm not talking about physical death yet, although that is part of it. I'm talking about the birth of death in your life. That's a strange terminology. Let's take a look at what James says. He's describing the stages. He says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, because they've been seduced, they've made an agreement with the father of lies, the lies and the Desires are now wedded together, in bed together. Conception is taking place. It's growing inside. It gave birth to sin, and now sin, with a life of its own, becomes full grown and, say it with me, gives birth to death. Isn't that a weird statement? Birth to death. Death is born. This little thing that is running around you that you have no control of that's controlling you and dragging you away is dragging you away to the birth of death in your life. So like the first generation birth is sin. The grandchild is death. And what sin will lead you to is death. It sounds almost too dramatic to be true. But it's not. In the same book, Randy Alcorn tells a rest of Eric's story. Eric, you see, was, he had such potential, such promise. He was a believer. He was in church. He had a beautiful wife. He had a daughter. He, he, was, he was succeeding in business. He was doing great. He was just bubbling over with potential. Don't you just wish that he aborted early, but he took it all the way to the point of adultery, the birth of sin, but that's not where it ended. Because at the writing of the book, The Purity Principle, Randy Elkhorn says, Eric, I wish that it would just finished with repentance and asking for forgiveness, admission, but it didn't stop there. Eric was in prison. While he was writing the book, he had been in prison for many years because all of those seeds that he'd planted before he even met that person he had adultery with was pushing, pushing, pushing. Adultery was just part of the stream. He became a sexual predator. He molested his own daughter. He was in prison. Oh, in prison, he repented. He was asking God for mercy. He was repenting of his sin. But he is living out the birth of death in such vivid reality, he never ever saw that coming. In the early stages, if somebody said, this is what's going to happen in your life, he would have denied it and denied it. I'm not evil. I'm not wicked. I would never do that. But he was choosing what he was watching. He was choosing what he was doing. He was nurturing the conception inside. The desires and the things were growing inside to the degree that it was just disastrous when it came out first. And then after it came out there, it came out, I mean, his family was a mess, which he had done. And he's coping with all the same old coping skills. It's getting worse and worse and worse and takes over and destroys. Here's the summary of the stages. Enticement is where thought combines with desire 
And you have to be really, really careful because the lure is only luring, and it's a thought at first, as it's combining with your desire, be careful. Alarm should go off. Have an exit plan there. It's easiest to exit early. Conception is where the imagination, the justification takes place. You reimagine, you justify with the statements, you justify some more, think about it some more, and you start to make agreements, and conception takes place. Birth is when you're planning and choosing. Sin begins before it actually is even enacted. There's a life of its own that's taking place inside, and sin begins, and then it's birthed into sin. Planning and choice. And then death is a description of the consequences. There's the separation that you have from your father who loves you with the union you have with the father who hates you, who seduced you, that you are now in union with. So we need a way to battle this. How many of you would like a way out? Okay? We need a way out. Okay? All right, now, that's a really important question. I mean, you could just assume everybody wants a way out. Well, here's the deal. Everybody wants a way out of the end game. But not everybody wants a way out of the early stages. It's almost like we pray this prayer. Oh, God, lead me as close to the temptations as you could lead me and then whip me out of them before it's dangerous. No, Jesus taught us to pray to lead us not into temptation, to to get out early, 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 early. When the fire alarm goes off at the beginning stages, I think now that we're talking through the stages, the fire alarm should go off earlier than it's been going off for you. Now, James does give us some real clear instructions on what to do to find the way out. In James chapter 4, we read this. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Here's what most people think, and I think I fall into this repeatedly. I think that what my primary job is when temptation comes in my direction, my primary job is to resist that temptation. Let me ask you, is that what the verse says? That is not our primary job. In fact, if you try to resist the temptation and you don't do what James says first, you will not be able to resist your temptation. You will not be able to resist the devil because you are not stronger than the devil. You will not be able to resist the temptation which is alluring the problem in self because self-help techniques never help when self is the problem. Correct? So James says it like it is. If you want a way out, the very first thing you've got to do is submit to God. If you submit to God, now God will help you. You want to know the really good news? I don't even know why God is so gracious. It doesn't matter which part in the process you are. God will respond to an honest cry of help. If you will admit that you're experiencing death, he has the power of resurrection. If you admit that you've made a disaster, he has the power to somehow out of the ashes raise your life up to a life that's meaningful again. Every stage he's there to help. But I'm telling you honestly, the earliest stages are where you need to fight and win. You take it to the latter stages and you're 
Just complicating, 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 making it harder and harder and harder. So fight and win early. Just in case you're not sure what to do with this, submit yourself to God, I'm going to put a prayer out on the screen. I'm going to ask us to pray it together just as a suggested way of verbalizing our submission to God because that's where it begins, folks. You can't just wish for God to intervene. He waits to be asked. He waits for you to literally submit. He waits for you to, remember last week, hit the button, okay? So let's stand together. This is a prayer that I would like you to verbalize if you want a way out. If right now, honestly, you don't want a way out, you're going to have to wrestle with that one. And you might have to go to the next stage where you are being drugged where you don't want to go before you want the way out. But I'm hoping that you see this is true, that God is, he's in your corner, he wants to help you, you want him to help you. So let's pray this out loud together. Let's verbalize it together. And let's, let's try to make it from the heart. God, your grace for us is astonishing. Thank you for always providing a way out. I submit my mind. I submit my body, desires, and will to your will. Wash me clean so that I'm not so easily enticed. Please give me the strength to resist the devil's lures. Help me to look further ahead when I'm enticed so that I can see the lie and the hidden hook in the bait and where it will drag me away.